As Josh said, we're starting a new series this morning, um, and I'll tell you a little bit about it right now, and then we'll get into it. Uh, we're starting 1 John. Um, I don't know about you, but since uh, the start of 2020, the world has changed a lot. In a recent poll, 80% of Americans felt that the USA is out of control. Obviously, that's not just COVID, it's other things as well. Um, but I don't know how you feel. Uh, in times like this, in, in a moment of history like this, uh, it's created a lot of insecurity around my life and in my life. When I feel insecure, I want to hear voices that cut through the noise and the silence and bring some clarity. People who speak words of real gravity. And I think we're all made to feel this way. If you think about it, the way that we were created is by a God who spoke all things into being. And so it would be natural then that when there's chaos or silence, that we want words of life to speak into our chaos and silence and bring real gravity into our moments. Um, there's a certain group of people, certain group of humans who are particularly good at delivering words that matter. And I'm specifically thinking of old people. Uh, not all old people are equally good at having words that matter, but old people do generally have an advantage in that they've lived longer, they've experienced more of life, they've seen how things work, and whether they speak from their brokenness or speak from their strength and wisdom, they usually have something to say. And um, uh, on Friday, I helped a friend do a funeral, and I was in a room afterwards, a lounge afterwards, in a group of uh, older men who had 65 years of friendship with the individual that we were there to celebrate and mourn. Um, they've got some experience and it was amazing to just uh, be in their presence and hear how they speak about life and friendship and um, things that really matter. And so um, I've really wanted to spend some time with old Christians who have words of gravity and who can speak God's life into our current moment. And so I found just the right man. Um, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus found him. Uh, Jesus invited John, the guy who's going to speak for us, um, and his brother James to follow him. And they left their family's fishing business, which was a fairly successful business. When John and James left, his dad was able to employ other workers to replace them. So the fishing business must have been going okay. John and James were fairly ambitious, entrepreneurial, go-getters. And um, we see that they brought this into their discipleship of Jesus, that as they followed Jesus and, and Jesus gave all of his disciples names, he gave, uh, they were known as sons of thunder. Um, and this is not a, an ancient reference to Thor, for those of you who only know Marvel uh, comics. Um, there are at least three recorded times where John acted like a son of thunder and Jesus had to curate a special lesson for him because of his nature and being um, this kind of uh, aggressive, ambitious young man. Uh, the first time, Mark records John asking Jesus if they should stop uh, the non-disciples, those who weren't following Jesus, from casting out de uh, demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus had to curate a lesson for John to say, John, let's play the long game. If, they, uh, if they're doing it in my name and, and even if they're not with us, they, they're doing good. Let's just leave it alone. Let's see what happens. And he taught John about the long game. You don't have to react to every moment. Everything doesn't have to be perfect all of the time. 
And we see that even today, Jesus from heaven allows ministries that aren't really uh, great or even necessarily biblical to still advance his kingdom and his glory. He's playing the long game. Uh, secondly, uh, Mark tells us another time, I, I don't know what Mark and John had amongst them, but Mark seems to enjoy um, airing out John's dirty laundry. And uh, jo Mark tells us another time where John and James come to Jesus and ask him to do a solid for them. And he says, what do you want? And they say, we want you to um, seat us at your left and your right when you are king of your kingdom. And Jesus teaches them a leadership lesson, curates a special lesson for them. And he says, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be a leader, you've got to be a servant. Uh, the least will be the greatest. The greatest will be the least. And he turns the whole idea of leadership that the world has upside down and shows how his kingdom is completely different and he has come to serve. And um, would have been slightly embarrassing to have to receive that. And it also says that the disciples weren't all too chuffed with John and James themselves. Then Luke gets on board. He doesn't want to leave all the dirty of laundry to Mark and feels that something has been left out. And so he adds to the misstep stories of John's. And Luke tells us about a certain village of Samaritans that they were trying to enter and they couldn't be let in. And John turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, do you want me to pray that fire will come down on this village and destroy it? I think John was hoping Jesus would say yes, so that he could, one, impress with his faith, but also just make a way for themselves. And uh, Jesus has to curate another lesson for John. This one's a little bit more direct, and he just rebukes John and tells him to stop and goes on to another place. But there's uh, one thing that's sure, is that when John wasn't airing his glaring imperfections and uh, showing everyone how much discipleship he needed. He was drawing nearer to Jesus. He was known as the disciple Jesus loved. This was the name he could call himself uh, as well. Um, at the end of the day, John uh, was one of the closest disciples. John saw almost all of Jesus' miracles. John was there when Jesus was transfigured with only two other disciples. John was there when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and took a few disciples with him further. John was one of those he took further. John was one of those who was able to fall asleep so near to Jesus that he could hear him praying with his eyes closed as he cried, as Jesus cried out in pain that God would find another way. Um, John was there when Jesus was crucified. Jesus uh, said, John, this is your mother. Mother, this is now your son. And he gave Mary's care over, Mary, Jesus' mother, he gave over her care to John, his disciple. And John became uh, Mary's adopted son to look after her and take care of her. And John was there in the room when Jesus came after he was raised from the dead and entered uh, a room with walls and doors, but entered right through them and appeared to his disciples many times. John was there when, John, uh, when Jesus ascended. John was there. Um, John knows Jesus. John gets to live to a ripe old age. And uh, we're going to have the privilege of hearing this disciple speak to us. And here's why I want to hear John speak words of gravity into my 2020. And why I think it's helpful to hear John speak words of gravity into your 2020. Um, he probably wrote this letter around 80, 85 to 95. Who cares? Well, that's important. Why? Remember how Jesus taught John to play the long game, to wait, to watch, to observe before you speak, before you do? Well, John did. 
He waited about 50 or 60 years after the other disciples had written, after Jesus had ascended, after they had gone out, after the Jerusalem council, after the dispersion. Uh, he waited about 50 years before he wrote down. By the time John wrote these things down, they were more than concrete inside of him. They had turned into diamonds, jewels. And every single word uh, is a word that, that has at least five decades of thought and prayer and observation and patience. When John speaks, his words have gravity. Uh, secondly, um, John knew Jesus very closely and cared for Jesus' mom. I, I never met Jesus yet. I've never touched Jesus yet. I haven't seen Jesus yet. I haven't heard his amazing voice audibly as you're hearing mine now yet. But John did. John did all of that. And John knows Jesus. And so I'd like to hear him. John changed. Thirdly, most people changed Jesus. But uh, Jesus changed John. Jesus reaches, it's true that Jesus reaches all people in all cultures, all tribes, all tongues. Jesus can reach all people. Jesus is able to, to change all people, reach people and change them. Uh, and all people are able to change Jesus. And this is what we are in the habit of doing. We kind of redress Jesus to be the Jesus that we can put up with, the Jesus that we can understand, the Jesus that will accept and approve of life as we want it. But John didn't do that. John let Jesus be Jesus in his life and he let Jesus change him. And he started as the Son of Thunder. That was his first nickname, the Son of Thunder. His last nickname was the Apostle of Love. And between that, uh, he became more like Christ. It's very simple. If you're hanging out with Jesus, you must become like Jesus. If you're not hanging out with the real Jesus, uh, you're going to keep forming him into an image of yourself. John didn't become more a son of thunder. He became the apostle of love uh, because he kept hanging out with the real Jesus. And so I'd love to hear from him. Fourthly, um, he moved to Ephesus because his world changed. There was a persecution in Jerusalem and, and they all had to flee. And John did. Being a Christian, being one of the disciples, cost John uh, many things. It, 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 in many ways, it ruined his life. It ruined the family fishing business as they might have dreamt it. It ruined where he lived, what he did, uh, the memories that he was able to make. Um, it changed everything. Uh, the gospel really had a massive effect on his life. And while I say ruined kind of uh, freely and maybe flippantly, he would have never given it up for any other kind of life. But it cost John. And uh, when you hear a man who's about 80 years old that has paid the price for the gospel, you must believe that his words have some gravity. This is unlikely to happen much these days. We see um, over years, many people get hurt by the church and leave the church. Uh, they get sour at the church, um, at Jesus's people, uh, because we do hurt each other, because we're not perfect. Um, and inevitably, the, the people who kind of are close, even closer in in ministry, who are doing ministry, someone like John, who's paying a, a heavier price than maybe others are, can get a little bit sour, but not John. Um, I have the great privilege um, of growing up. I grew up in a, I think my parents are on, on Zoom today. I think I saw them. Um, but I had the great privilege of growing up in their home. They've done ministry for as, almost as long as I've been alive. Uh, pastoral ministry that's that's almost they've done done it for almost 40 years or 40 years somewhere around there four decades and they're not sour 
They're, they're not upset with the church. Their lives have been wrecked by the church. They've been turned upside down by the church. People have hurt them countless times. They couldn't have recorded how many times people have hurt them. Um, and yet they, today, they are loving and leading and serving the body of Christ. Why? Not because the church is perfect, but because they keep hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus keeps pouring His love for the church back into their hearts. My in-laws, Chris and Merrill, you, you know them as well. Precisely the same. Planted a church two years ago. Why? After 30, 40 years of ministry, after pain, after suffering, after hurt, after the gospel costing you so much. Why not just retire? Why not take a break? Why not just put your feet up? Why not just go on some adventures? Have some experiences. Go do some things that other people do. Why not? Because they keep hanging out with the real Jesus. And He keeps pouring His love for His people into their hearts. And so no other kind of adventure or experience looks better. And so if you weigh up on pros and cons, it doesn't work out. But the, pro, but the one or two pros of knowing the real Jesus and walking with His people far outweigh however many cons, whatever it costs, or at least this is the testimony of the life of John. Um, John hasn't come to these deep truths that he's going to teach us through genius like Paul. Uh, we don't know that John was a massive intellect. Uh, we know that he learned by plodding. And most of us are plodders. Most of us haven't had a revelation like Paul. I have one friend who got saved similar, similar, not like Paul, but similar to Paul. He was in his room. He said, Jesus, if you are real, show yourself to me. A flash of light uh, flew him across his room. He woke up three hours later on the other side of his bed. And he has been a radical Christian ever since that day. Most of us plod. Uh, find our way forward little by little. And that's John. And he's been plotting uh, 40, 50, 60 years with Jesus. And so he can really help us in our discipleship. And then lastly, John was the original charismatic, gospel-centered, reformed. We, we love to talk about our church this way. These are elements of our church. John was that before those words ever existed. And so whatever emphasis he places or where he places the emphasis on those different things is really important. This is 50 or 60 years later. He, saw, he was there in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. Um, he was there when Peter preached the first gospel message. He understands a word-centered, a spirit-led uh, church. He understands what it means to, to walk with Jesus in that way and what to expect and what to look out for. And so what his words to us, uh, what he gives us is very important important.